0: Tonight, look familiar? 17 marches for Palestine this weekend show an America divided by war. Why these demonstrations are far more dangerous than the ones in the 60s. There is
1: only one solution. It's the Fact
0: check
2: problems. Terrorists have come in through our southern border.
0: Ron DeSantis said something undeniably true. Why did the New York Times label it False
1: personal foul. It's called being a foot It's called hiding behind and not showing up to work. A college football coach caught
0: on tape being a coach.
1: go read your rights about mental health.
0: Is getting screamed at by your coach worth 40 million bucks and canceled for telling the truth. The Washington Post yanks this cartoon after a staff revolt. Why the Post is so scared of honest reporting. Plus, Honey Trap, why the FBI won't name famous johns who frequented a high-end D.C. brothel. And what politicians might have said during Pillow Talk. Welcome to The Ferris Show on television. First tonight, the massive marches planned for this weekend across America. The last time we saw this across the country was in the 1960s, and back then they demanded peace. Now the chants are for the slaughter of Jews. Just think about the marches of the 60s. They wanted an end to war, to bring our soldiers home. They wanted civil rights. Summer of love. But the same type of marches now come through our streets and college campuses to celebrate the killing of Jews, and they march chanting slogans to wipe out Israel. The counterculture social movement supporting Palestinians and Hamas in America puts the social divisions of the 1960s on steroids. Pro-Palestinian marchers will now walk through 30 cities across America this weekend. The more we learn about the marchers' ideology, the more we realize what they really believe. The movement is rooted in Marxist doctrine. The oppressor and liberation language used to justify the Palestinian struggle replaces history with a dystopian view of the Middle East. Remember they're trying to break into the White House complex last weekend. We know of no arrests so far from that. So there's every indication the organizers want more violence this weekend, not less. As Democrats learned at their convention in Chicago during the summer of 68, things can get ugly quickly. And that's with protesters who profess love and wanted peace. Today's protesters are celebrating horrific acts. It's very different, difficult to differentiate the images of Hamas attacks on October 7th from those of the Holocaust. Uh, Hamas's attacks in the middle, the Holocaust on the right-hand side of the screen. The Twitter account Stop Anti-Semites catalogs people tearing down posters of the Israeli hostages. As we know, 239 remain below ground in Gaza. They are held by people who roasted Jewish babies in ovens. Tearing the posters down on its face makes little sense. So let me explain it to you. The hostage posters get ripped down because they remind people that Hamas is evil. They remind people of what Hamas did. They remind people that Hamas still holds hostages. Therefore, Israel has legitimate reasons to keep fighting For the Marxist ideology of pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas, Black Lives Matter protesters to work, Israel must be fully demonized. It must be viewed as the oppressor and the colonizer. And that brings us back to why what we will see this weekend is so dangerous, and ironically so. In the 1960s, hippies marched for love, peace, free love, Woodstock. Now that same ideology has morphed, it demands the violent murder of millions. And make no mistake, it starts with the Jews, but it never ends there. Gary Solis joins us now, professor of law at Georgetown, former Marine Corps officer, two tours in Vietnam, former anti-war protester yourself. I would be remiss if I did not wish the Marines a happy birthday. Thank you, sir. Uh, Am I
3: right to draw comparisons? Oh, absolutely, Um, they're quite clear as you say uh, they have different objectives but we have the same the same disease in the citizenry with the with the objectives of the leadership
1: when you
0: came back and marched in anti-war protests it was to end violence because you had seen in vietnam unjust and what you thought was wrong violence this and i understand there are some who say that they just want to stop bombing in Gaza, but when you hear them chant, that's not what they're chanting for. They're chanting for the elimination of the
3: state of Israel.
0: Mm -hmm. How does that change things?
3: You tell me. I think there's been a a basic change in the American society where people are so ready to turn to violence or methods that are even unthinkable to achieve their, their goals and it's, it's just percolated down to the, lo- to the basic level of our society
0: that it is willing to do that. Um, let's think about the, the difference in the chants real quick, we're going to play uh, back all the way, chanting against LBJ in the war, and then what we're hearing on the streets today.) <laughs> Is there a difference between what people in your generation were marching against
3: and what we're seeing today? I believe there is. Uh, the difference The difference in the 60s was that people genuinely wanted to end the war, end violence as they understood it. Today, it seems as though the marching is an end of its, in, within itself. And people are so eager, seemingly eager, to turn to more violent methods to express themselves that it, I find it very distur- disturbing. And of course now, I think a basic difference is today, there's no draft. That is to say, there is nobody who ha- fears that they themselves might be going over to wherever. And today, there is no no, no, personal, no personal involvement of the society in what they're protesting against as there was in Vietnam. Or what they're prof- professing to protest against versus what
0: they, they may actually believe. I think this is interesting because so many of the anti-war protesters in the 60s, they were, they were organized at the fraternities and at the sororities and by students on campus. And what we're seeing now uh, is they may be students on campus organizing these, but it's the students from Iran or the students from other Arab countries or the students from Russia who are, who are trying to foment this discord in, in America. I made the joke, yeah, they're, they're students. They're uh, you know, nine guys from Iran who are 27 years old and still juniors. Uh, doing this, I see you smiling. I feel like you think I'm onto something.
3: <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I think you're right. That,
0: that, there are, that, 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 that there is a power beyond America trying to organize this.
3: Oh, I think that that's definitely true as well. Uh, I don't know. I have no insight to who or what it is, but I know that I believe that what's going on in the streets of America today is, as to use the term that you did, is being fomented by powers like iran
0: interesting it's good to see you sir thank you very much appreciate the conversation One head over to israel right now it's about 2 a.m in tel aviv it's shabbat there the weekend in israel is friday and saturday and this is a country now having to live normal life in the midst of wartime robert sherman has been there since uh, the conflict began and joins us now i guess it's now good morning robert
4: Hey there, Leland. And on a Friday night, Tel Aviv is normally an energetic city, even at two o'clock in the morning. But as you can see behind us, not right now, as people here on the ground struggle to adapt to war. Heading into the Shabbat holiday, Israel's most lively city looks anything but. Some in Tel Aviv seldom leave their homes.
1: In the start of the war, I didn't go to my work. I do sport for my soul, but uh, there is a lot of rockets.
4: Others think it's time to press forward with their lives.
5: It's scary in the first days, but after, uh, you need to live with the, the situation
4: now compared to the southern Israeli city of sterot
1: I have friend missing I have friend murdered. I...
4: Kati butera like almost all of the cities near 30,000 residents fled after Hamas terrorists invaded October 7th.
1: I want to come back because it, this is my country and we try to make resilience again but I don't know something broke.
4: This is such a small country, Leland, that two parallels are very clear. One, everyone knows someone who was a victim on October 7th. And second, everyone knows someone who's currently fighting in the IDF. Leland?
0: Yeah. And, Robert, they have been there before. I'm thinking about 1973 uh, as well. Keep up the great work, my friend. We're proud of you. Talk soon. We invite you to sign up for War Notes. It gives you a free look at the show every day at 4 p.m. So here's what to do. Call out your phone, go to readwarnotes.com and subscribe. The notes started is our internal email discussion about the most important events of the day. It's literally how we put the show together, and you get to be a part of it. You can respond to the email with your thoughts. You can also join us on social media anytime at Leland Vitter on Instagram or Twitter. We read all of your responses. That's readwarnotes.com and subscribe for free. Something we need to set the record straight on. We might have been a little unfair six months ago when we blamed the FDA for all of the drug shortages that we're seeing. And if you just think about it, just think about the drugs you can't get. Ozempic for weight loss, Adderall to help you concentrate, Rogaine for hair loss. Put those together. You might be able to imagine why
5: incredible and shrinking woman so skinny yes. no are you <laughs> oh my god I want to be incredibly shrinking what are you? how skinny she is you? know. what the hell so
6: skinny hormones
1: hormones
0: <laughs> turns out the issue for Americans drug shortages isn't supply it's demand too many people want a quick fix join us now Dr. Corey Abair, pediatrician assistant professor at LSU Health Sciences Center doctor it's always good to see you is there something to this that that Americans just kind of want this quick fix to everything um, rather than putting in the hard work and thus they're taking too many drugs they don't need?
6: Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, let's think about this. Let's talk about Adderall for a quick second. Right. We know what happened with that. Or all people were telling, you know, that uh, were telling their children, "Look, go to school and just fight as hard as you can. You're going to be fine." And the parents were like, "You know, they can do this." The teachers were calling the parents and saying, "Look, I think your child is, has ADHD, but I, you know, I think it's important that we get him on some medicine." Parents like, "No, no, never, never, never." And then the parent had to educate the child for two years at home. And then they said, wait a minute, this teacher is probably telling the truth. So now we have a huge increase in the amount of people that have been prescribed Adderall. You know, I, I don't know about you. When it comes to Rogaine, I actually use Rogaine. That's, what, you know, I. We all have a little issue and people are a little vain. But at the same time, we talk about Ozempic. This is almost like a miracle drug that people are touting for weight loss. And one of the biggest things in America is is the issue with food. So if we have a a, an injection or a pill that you can lose weight without changing your lifestyle, then of course. So all of these things make a lot of sense. And, you know, also a lot of these are generics. And there's no money to be made in investing, stockpiling generics because generics margin is thin. That they can make money on these, you know, some of these medicines. So Adderall is a generic. And then you got to think about India and China. These places are are the comp- where we make the medicines, and then they have to stockpile this, the the amount of raw materials that have to uh, be used to make these medicines. So it's like a perfect horrible storm for the people that really need these medicines.
0: I wonder when it comes, though to the 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 quick fix and there's reasons to think uh in the same way that penicillin changed the world that ozempic and these weight loss drugs may as well just because of how much they're going to be able to to save uh people from the 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 difficulties uh of obesity um we'll see but my i guess my my question more centers around the the long-term effects is that it that When you take drugs perhaps that you don't necessarily need, we saw everybody go online during the pandemic because they could get Adderall specifically by just uh, filling out a questionnaire and then talking to somebody on a Zoom. Uh, You can get Ozempic now almost the same way. There's people who advertise it uh, that way as well. Whether there's not sort of a danger to to this uh, that, that comes with the ease of access.
6: Well, I mean, we know that people are getting these medicines that don't need them. They've always been abused, especially something like Adderall. We know that Ozempic is being abused because of the ability for people to get it. Uh, But but the issue is that that's not about to change because so many people are making money from it. The drug companies, the generic drug companies and and the doctors are making a lot of money. So they ain't going to change. The issue, though, is that we have to trust the FDA. And some of of your viewers uh, inherently don't trust the FDA, uh, but we have to trust the FDA that does studies that have been done um, are are illustrative of being able to uh, give these medicines without long-term side effects. But if you take Ozipic yeah. for a very long time, you're going to have some issues. If you take it and you don't need it, you can have um, gallbladder problems. You can have an issue of, you know, losing too much weight too fast. There's all types of things that can happen. But you must use any of these medicines responsibly. I mean, I have done the yeah. clinical trials over 60 of them, you know, on all these wow. types of medicines. And you have to make sure that you have the appropriate data. And people are out there fudging that, too. That's why FDA is very important to us. All right,
0: Doc, it's good to see you as always. Thank you. Enjoy the weekend. Coming up next, a whole new way to coach football. Really? No cursing, no yelling, no tough talk. And a failure to comply with those rules leads to a $40 million lawsuit. Will sports ever be the same? And say it ain't so. Even in death, the story of Cedar the Goat lives on. By the state of California suing a little girl's family after they tried to save her goat from Slaughter. breaking news out of the sports world, the Big Ten, that's the football conference, suspended Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh as part of an investigation into sign stealing. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, there's another college football scandal you have not heard about. And before you change the channel, this is about way more than what happens on or off the football field. This is about a complete change in society. Stories about mental health in 2023. A coach who talks to his players the old school way, despite claiming to prioritize player health and a multi-million dollar lawsuit that stems from, and we have it on tape, this
1: infraction. If you would have come here when you kept getting messages, the head coach wants to talk to you, and you saying, I'm not ready to talk to him. I wasn't. And guess what? We can kick you off the team. So go read your f***ing rights about mental health. We can kick you off the team for not showing up. It's called being a foot. It's called hiding behind and not showing up to work.
0: Those words from old Miss coach Lane Kiffin led to a $40 million lawsuit from DeSanto Rollins. The junior player says he was kicked off the team during his mental health crisis. He believes he faced disciplinary action based on his race and sex, as if they didn't know he was a male when they recruited him to play football. And he now wants the school to pay him $40 million. The university and Kiffin are trying to dismiss the lawsuit. Attorneys say Rollins stopped showing up to practice and repeatedly refused to meet with the coach one-on-one. They believe the player was upset about a position change. Back in the day, Kiffin's comments wouldn't have even been noticed. It was normal. They were tame. Now they're front-page news. Sign of the times, maybe, after all, the late, great Bobby Knight used to get away with throwing chairs during the game. Imagine if that happened today. In 2023, sticks and stones still break bones, and words, well, they're violence, unless they're words about murdering Jews, and then every university's fine with them. But that's a different segment in this show. Scott Hamilton here to discuss the sports part of this, host of the Scott Hamilton Show on FanStream Sports and WBT. All right. Uh, coach, uh, Scott, it's good to see you. I, I, my coach in high school said things that were far worse than this. What's going on
7: here? It's the evolution of the athlete, Leland. That, that's all it is. When you look at it now, how much power does an athlete have now compared to even 10 years ago, definitely 15, 20 years ago? Uh, they have name image likeness where they can earn money now for exactly what I said, their name, image, likeness. They have their transfer portal, which allows them to basically say, if I'm not happy, if I don't feel like competing, I can take off. I can go somewhere else. And this is just another instance of a player exerting his power. I'm insulted. I don't feel I was respected. They're marginalizing my feelings. So I'm going to sue the university.
0: It's kind of wild. My question is this, like, are all universities now kowtowing to this? Are they policing the football coaches? To, to this standard that anything they say uh, is, A, going to get taped. I can't imagine what would have happened to me if I taped my coach. Uh,
7: and <laughs> then uh, sued over? I, you have to be concerned about it because this sets a really, really scary precedent that any time I decide I'm going to discipline a player, if I'm a coach and I'm going to discipline a player, in the back of my mind I'm going to wonder, is he recording me? Am I going to get sued? And, and Leland, you you mentioned it in the intro. It all has to do with a position change. He didn't get – he, being Rollins, didn't get a lot of reps last year, didn't get a lot of playing time. Seems to me that he's not part of the plan going forward for Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin brings him into his office, says, guess what? We're changing positions. You're not going to be a defensive tackle anymore. We're going to move you to the scout team, and you're going to play offensive tackle, almost a way to push him out. Free up his scholarship so they can they can go get somebody to fill his spot. Well, Rollins, I guess figuring out what's going on, decides, oh, taking a mental health break. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to see you now. I'm going to sue you because you haven't respected my my, my feelings. It's pretty wild. I
0: mean, really, I, I it's 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 just kind of crazy. It, it is a sign of the times. There is, you, you look you study this innately. Is more of this coming down the road? More of these kinds of you don't respect me. My mental health can't deal with you you yelling at me the way coaches do.
7: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, Leland, are they amateurs? Are they amateurs? Or are they pros now? Are they amateurs or they uh, pros? Every day we tiptoe closer to the professional model, and this is just another instance. And Leland, mark my words, we're only a few years away from from unions, from the athletes organizing and getting salaries to go play college athletics instead of just getting room and board yeah, in, I, in I, a two hundred thousand dollar education. Look.
0: There, there's the student, there, there are a lot of student athletes, right? There's the guys on the track team and the swimmers and the golfers and the rowers uh, and the, the lacrosse players, male and female. I mean, it cuts cuts across. That, that college athletics is, is a phenomenal thing for a lot of kids. Forget the money and the NIL deals and all that kind of stuff. And what I, I guess what I'm wondering is, is that one of the reasons college athletics is so good is because the, the demand for excellence by coaches teaches you something. Uh, at high at, at that high level, that that is extraordinarily useful in life. There's a lot of managers and founders of companies that like to hire college athletes for a reason. Is that going away now? If coaches can't actually coach and demand excellence,
7: you have to think so. You have to think so. And only the best of the best will be the ones who actually move forward. We're we're, we're talking yeah. football here which there's so much money tethered to football that we're going to see more of this. The, the players are going to get more power, and it's going to be the elite of the elite as we continue to divide up these conferences, mm. create super conferences, and and they are going to get paid. They're going to have so much leverage that, to your point, the coach is almost going to be a manager instead of a coach, a guy who teaches you and wow. uh, instills discipline opinion, uh, onto you. It's going to be somebody that's there merely to serve as the, a way to prepare you for the pros and to make the university and conference a ton of money from television.
0: It's a brave new world. Thank you very much, my friend. It's good to see you. I know you got a busy weekend of coverage coming up. Um, if you thought $40 million because you got yelled at by your coach was crazy, well, this story is even crazier. The Attorney General of California is now suing a nine-year-old girl's family over her pet goat. And to top it all off, the goat, we are sad to report, is long gone. The Attorney General of California, where crime is spiraling out of control. Looters are taking over. Well, he has finally found a problem he can solve. They are going after the family of a nine-year-old who wanted to keep her pet goat from slaughter. This is Cedar the Goat. The timeline's important here. It all started when a young girl entered Cedar, her goat, into the 4-H fair in Shasta County, June 2022. In June, her mom tried to back out of the auction because she wanted to keep the goat. Part of auctioning the goat off is the goat goes to the slaughterhouse. June 25th, the goat got auctioned off. And the mother took the goat and everybody... ...said that she's offered to pay for the goat, reimburse the $900, on and on and on. But that wasn't good enough for the county fair. They got a warrant from police, and police drove 10 hours to execute a warrant for the goat. So the police got involved, took the goat, and slaughtered the goat. In April 2023, the family sued the county, and now there has been a countersuit filed by the state attorney against the family. So, remember, the mother offered to repay the goat's buyer... Some reporting from a local newspaper there, and pay the fair for expenses. But the fair and the California Department of Agriculture said no. Cedar had to be returned and killed, even after the buyer of the goat at the auction agreed to let Cedar go back to the family. I don't know this personally because I don't remember this children's book, but I am told it is like the children's classic Charlotte's Web, except they grab Black Wilbur, the pig, slaughter it, and then sue the crying little girl. So California has now spent Thousands upon thousands of taxpayer dollars to retrieve a goat, slaughter it, and sue the family of the goat owner. In terms of who this is, we'd like to introduce you to someone who thought this was a good use of taxpayer dollars California Attorney General Rob Banta and the California Department of Food and Agriculture Association, uh, who is behind all of this. All right. Vanessa Shkab is with us now. She is the lawyer for the family. Uh, Vanessa, When I talked to you back in April about this story, I didn't think it could get any crazier, and now it has. What's going on?
5: Thanks so much for having me back, and you are exactly right. The heart of my client's civil rights litigation is government gone rogue, and in this countersuit, the government is doubling down.
0: All right, so I love having people on who tell me I'm right. Thank you very much. It's a Friday. That makes for a good night. Um, the fair's response on keeping the goat, making an exception for you will only teach our youth that they do not have to abide by the rules. Also in the era of social media, this has been a negative experience for the fairgrounds as it has been all over Facebook and Instagram. That's the Shasta County Fair chief executive, Melanie Silva. This is what I'm trying to understand, Vanessa. Why did it get to, to this in the first place, Right. Uh, The mom said, I don't want the goat to die, I'm willing to pay the $907 to the, the person who bought the goat, reimburse everybody. Why didn't this end there?
5: Well, I think you hit the nail on the head here. We have government actors very concerned about what people are saying freely on the internet, very concerned about people's opinions. Our lawsuit contains a claim for First Amendment viewpoint discrimination. We are alleging that these government officials violated the Constitution, acted as judge, jury, and executioner to illegally seize and slaughter this little girl's goat because they did not like her viewpoint that Cedar was a part of the family who belonged at home. And let's pause for a minute and take uh, take a step back at what's really going on here. We have a nine-year-old child. She signed up for a kids' club. She decided she wanted to leave. Cedar was her property. The fair rule stated that she retained ownership throughout the event. When somebody takes their property and leaves, this is at best a civil property dispute. Easy peasy, one, two, three. It is not a crime. We have a laundry list of government actors who manufactured a felony, got a warrant, drove hundreds of miles to seize Cedar and make sure that he was slaughtered. And I want to point out why this countersuit uh, I, is particularly dangerous here. Um, because in this countersuit, uh, the defendant is looking for fees and costs from this family for litigating the civil rights claims filed against them.
0: Well, uh, we always appreciate you coming on. We have issued an invitation to the attorney general uh, to come on any time and tell us why um, spending taxpayer dollars uh, on Cedar is worthy of his time. And the, the taxpayers of California, he has yet uh, to agree. But if he does, uh, he's always welcome. Vanessa, keep us updated, all right? We, uh, we've enjoyed following this, and we are firmly uh, on the side of Cedar. Uh, we don't often take sides, but uh, feel confident in our position here. Thank you, ma'am. Coming up next, a Washington Post editorial gets, well, got just a little too close to the truth. How Washington Post staffers got this picture pulled. It happened. There are far scarier implications, we'll tell you in a minute.
3: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. All right, time to fact-check the fact-checkers
0: after the Republican debate. The New York Times fact-checkers declared Ron DeSantis's warning on the border, as you can see there, false.
2: If you look at the threats that we face, terrorists have come in through our southern border.
0: Hmm. Turns out terrorists have come in through our southern border. It is true, scarily true. Our border reporters Robert Sherman and Ali Bradley instantly jumped on this. And noted that just this year, Customs and Border Protection found 169 people on the FBI's terrorist screening database at our southern border last year. 169 people on the FBI's terror database just in the last year. That doesn't count the gotaways, meaning the millions of people who came through. You'd have to think some of them were on the terror watch list. Those would be the people trying the hardest not to get caught. So remember Orwell's 1984? It's Ministry of Truth. War is Peace. Freedom is Slavery. Ignorance is Strength. The New York Times fact check gets awfully close to something from 1984. As does our next story. The credo of the Central Intelligence Agency comes from John, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. When it comes to libel or slander, truth is the best defense. And sometimes, of course, the truth hurts. But the truth is inherently fair. That's why we focus so much on the truth here on the program which makes The Washington Post's pulling of this cartoon so telling. The cartoon isn't particularly funny. It shows a Hamas boss fat on the luxuries bought by stolen aid with civilians roped to his body and the caption, how dare the Israelis attack civilians. As I said, not particularly funny, but true. And nobody would have noticed this cartoon by Michael Ramirez, but for The Washington Post staff. And they found it so offensive, they called it racist. And the staff demanded a retraction. So far from the defending the truth, evidently the inmates do run the asylum at the Washington Post. The bosses didn't defend the truth. They took it down and apologized. In a note to readers, David Shipley, the editorial page editor of the Post, said the cartoon was initially meant to caricature a specific Hamas spokesman, but the backlash to the cartoon convinced him to say the retraction the reaction the image convinced me that I had missed something profound and divisive, and I regret that. We invited the cartoonist on for obvious reasons. He's a little overwhelmed these days, but we're honored to be joined by Gary Varvel, member of the Indiana Journalism Hall of Fame, uh, and has dealt with similar situations for his cartoons uh, as well. Gary, we're, we're glad to have, you know, I, I think about the masthead of the Washington Post. It says, democracy dies in darkness, and I'm yep. wondering where truth, where, where truth dies, uh, what happens
8: well, in the case of this cartoon, it was truthful. And when you start blocking it, uh, now you're you're kowtowing to anybody who has any kind of problem, any kind of beef. What the, what the problem here, though, is Leland, is that people are seeing uh, what they want to see. He was clearly targeting Hamas here. That was the target of the cartoon. And it's it's a known fact that they do hide behind women and children. He caricaturized the the their Hamas spokesman, and people took that as offense. They thought that was a, a they thought that was criticizing all Palestinians.
0: That's not what he was doing at all. Uh, me, in fact, I, I hear you. I, I hear you. But I'm wondering if there's something deeper here, right? Because. We've said a thousand times on the show that Hamas uses human shields and cartoonists yep. caricaturize everybody all the time. I'm wondering right. if, want, if, if this, this isn't a genuine, oh, this is racist to characterize this guy this way. You know, everybody's drawn funny. I mean, if you drew me, I would I would be a caricature of myself. Imagine how high my hair would be. So you it's not racist character. to draw my hair. Yeah, exactly. So this is the this is my question, right? Yep. Uh, to me, The Washington Post didn't back down because it was racist when they looked at the cartoon, they backed down because it was truthful. And the Washington Post staffers didn't like somebody saying the truth that Hamas uses human shields. I think
8: that's an excellent point. And, you know, I was in journal. I was in the newspaper business for 40 years and I'm still I'm still syndicated by creators syndicate. So I still draw cartoons, but I'm not in a newspaper anymore. Now, now Michael Ramirez, two time Pulitzer Prize winner, is at uh, the Las Vegas Journal uh, Review Journal in they didn't pull the cartoon. They kept the cartoon up. Uh, it was the Washington Post that pulled it. And I think you're probably yeah. right, Leland, when you're talking about that it, it, was, it hit too close to the truth. And they, they, people on the staff there didn't want that, that truth getting out. Now, I've, I've had cartoons canceled in the past as well. And so yeah. uh, no, I, 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 will, I will, real quick, you know, in the new, early days of the newspaper, when I was young, uh, the editors had a boldness and they didn't back down and they would get, I would do all cartoons that would catch them a lot of heat and they defended it. If they printed it, they owned it. And that, that went away about 10 years ago. Right. Uh, I see a lot of newspaper editors that, that just won't stand behind a cartoon today.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I don't know. Somebody's not going to stand behind the truth. I don't know what to say. Hey, Gary, we're glad to have this conversation. We put a bunch of your cartoons up on the screen. I'd encourage anybody uh, to look at them on Instagram. And I know you got a sub stack that I subscribe to as well. It's some great thank stuff. You. It's always good for a laugh. We'll talk soon. All right.
8: Okay. It's good to talk yeah,
0: to keep you. Keep up the good work. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. You might say here we go again. Could be Jeffrey Epstein all over again. The FBI has busted a secretive sex ring. The pimp gets arrested, but governments, well, they're protecting some high rolling clients. Why a prostitution bust in D.C. exposes a new risk to American national security.
8: This commercial sex ring was built on secrecy and exclusivity, catering to a wealthy and well-connected clientele, and business was booming until today. Hmm.
0: Almost a week into the federal investigation, we have no idea who those wealthy, well-connected clients are, cue the Bob Kraft jokes. But unlike the relatively innocent Bob Kraft happy ending day spa story, this sex ring appears to have much more sinister motives. The brothels advertised up and down the East Coast from Boston to Washington, offering nude Asian models for pornography that turned into other things. Clients allegedly included politicians, high tech and pharmaceutical executives, doctors, military officers, government contractors who possess security clearances, professors, lawyers, scientists, and accountants. Yet we know nothing about them. Chris is here. I don't know, Chris, there's something about this, about the not knowing who the Johns are and... Number one, seems unfair. The women always get prosecuted. But number two, uh, elected officials, politicians, and government contractors with security clearances. Doesn't the
1: public have a right to know? Do they have a right to know? Maybe. Is it right for them to know? Why wouldn't it be? Uh, because unless this... Pornography motivation, you know, were people in play, uh, positions of prominence making pornography with Asians, with the Asian women underage? Those types of questions take you in a different um, direction of criminality. If this is just about who goes to brothels or whatever they're calling this situation, is that really where we need to be focusing
0: No, but uh, this is my question. And that is, we've known the Chinese, we know the Chinese use honey traps. We don't know that that's what this was now. But you think about it, it's in Tyson's Corner, where there's a lot of government contractors, where there's a lot of people who are Mm -hmm. in the intelligence community. It just feels like Mm -hmm. one of these things where people, the the rich and powerful, are being protected, not unlike the Jeffrey Epstein situation, where we still don't know the names of who was on the airplane in the little black book.
1: If this is connected to espionage and trying to interfere in American governance or politics, then it takes on an importance and the transparency matters. But we haven't heard any of that. And my concern yeah. is this is one of those opportunities for the media and, you know, for us to dig into a situation because it's easy and salacious, but it's not necessarily serving the interests of the people we're supposed to be caring about. Um, Now, if it is a honeypot, um, uh, you know, a honeypot um, scam, okay. If someone was using kids uh, for crimes, okay. But let that be what it's about as opposed to, oh, I wonder who was at the brothel. It's like, you know, I got bigger problems. I
0: I I knew you'd have an interesting thought. All right, we'll see you at the top of the hour, all right? Have a good weekend.
1: You are the man. Have a good weekend. All right. See you soon, my friend.
0: Before we had America, America had the Marines, the unique lesson we can take from the Corps almost 250 years later.
1: There are those who dedicate themselves to a sense
0: Today marks 248 years of the Marine Corps. The service began on this day in 1775 in a tavern in Philadelphia to have been there on those walls. And while the focus today is on the Marine Corps, tomorrow we celebrate Veterans Day, Armistice Day for our friends in the U.K. Americans are quite generous in our support of our veterans. Each year we donate more than a billion dollars to charities that support vets. A watchdog group called Charities for Vets Recently audited 100 popular veterans' charities. Half, well, have a little bit of issues with how they're using the money. Commander Kirk Lippold is here, retired Navy commander, sits on the Charities for Vets advisory board and with us now. What's the difference here? Are people, are they really raising money on the name of vets and then what, squandering it? Keeping it? What's the deal?
2: Well, it's unfortunate. I think when when Americans, who are an incredibly generous people, want to take care of their veterans, especially given the length of the wars that we've had over the last couple of decades, when they give, they want the money to be used as efficiently as possible. And there are a lot of charities out there that, unfortunately, we had we decided to establish benchmarks that could be used to judge whether a charity is actually taking and giving the majority of their money toward vets and toward the cause. So we created a four-criteria system. The most efficient one is if you are 75% or more, the money you raise goes toward veterans, you get a recommended. If it's 85% or more, you're highly recommended. But if you do not meet those other criteria, starting with that benchmark of 75%, and there are some very well-known ones in the system, we don't recommend that you vote for yeah. them. because Wounded, Wounded Warrior Project
0: spent 40% of its budget on overhead. So $0.40 cents of every dollar gets spent on things other than helping veterans. Uh, Tunnels to Towers, one that we've had on before, I know is at the very top of your list. Semper Fi and America's Fund, Folds of Honor Foundation, another great operation, America's Warrior Partnership. I think you made a great point about Americans being super generous with veterans. As the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq have ended, uh, the wounds of those wars lost a lifetime. Have Americans begun to forget a little bit, you think?
2: I don't think so. I think veterans are really... There's so much of a fabric, and so many people that come out of the military, when they go to work in the economy as civilians again, they're the leaders. They're the best managers. They know how to organize things. They give back in ways not only while they serve, but also when they become members of our society as well. Some of them bear the wounds of war. They may need some help. That's what some of these organizations do. And Charities for Vets just wants to make sure that as people contribute— they get the most bang for their buck, no pun intended, to make sure that those vets are getting the help they need.
0: All do. right, so it's charitiesforvets.org uh, that we put up on the screen there. You can see the recommended uh, charities as well. Commander, it's good to see you as always. You as well, Thank we you very Thank much. You. Thanks for being here, and thanks for all you, uh, all you continue to do. We want to leave you with something pretty cool. We started with the Marines and their birthday, but we're going to leave you with something pretty cool. These are pictures of the B-21 Raider. This is America's newest stealth airplane. It took its first flight today. It taxied out uh, through the desert of California and then took off. Uh, The B-21 is named after Jimmy Doolittle's men, the Raiders, who flew from an aircraft carrier over Tokyo just after Pearl Harbor and inspired an entire country that they could take the fight to the Japanese. And now, almost, what, 80 years later, Its namesake takes flight. The B-21. Have a great weekend. Here's Chris.